Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Zassini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is back. Dieter is here. We are going to break down the Houston Rockets. Uh, it's been a month since they acquired Robert Covington and have totally changed their style of play. I want to kind of dive into what's happening in Houston because they've been one of the five best teams in the NBA since acquiring uh-huh. Robert Covington. I want to talk a little bit about the Bulls because I want to laugh at the Bulls, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to you. be frank. And then I yeah. want to talk about Colin Sexton, the Cavs maybe a little bit, but more Colin because I find his little run here pretty fascinating. And maybe maybe even at the end, I'll, Dieter will let me yell about politics because I've got Bernie oh, Bosley's which is great. Um, maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Let's, uh, we're sponsored today by Coors Light. Shout out Coors Light. But Giddy up, Coors Light. We love it. We love Coors Light here at the podcast. It's a delight. So the Houston Rockets. They have played, I believe it is 10 games since having acquired Robert Covington. They have a 115.5 offensive rating, which is fifth in the NBA. They have a 109.7 defensive rating, which is ninth in the NBA. And their net rating overall is fifth in the NBA. Uh, just behind the Bucks, Clippers, Lakers, and the Mavericks are on a really great run right now as well. 7-3 uh, in those 10 games. Dieter. When you look at what the Rockets are doing, playing so small right now with Robert Covington, mm-hmm. I think that what I'm struck by is that they're actually not that small, like across right. the other positions. And I think that that's what allows them to make this work in the way that they've made it work so far. Absolutely. Uh, really good article from Mike Prada at SB Nation regarding sort of the, the strength that the Rockets have on the perimeter. And it kind of goes back, or maybe it just taps into the the basis of something I've joked about now for a couple of years, which is that P.J. Tucker is as wide as he is tall, and he's probably as deep, too. Like, volume matters. I suppose that that might be the entire Rockets ethos. Volume matters. And when you have guys like Tucker, okay, Tucker isn't going to go up and and Rudy Gobert at the rim. Like, he's not going to protect there. But he will stop you from getting to the rim because he's so strong in the hips and in his lower body that if you're trying to penetrate past him, he's not going to let it happen. Same with Robert Covington. To a point, people have been saying for years, and, and laughably so, to us, that, that James Harden is a good defender because he's pretty solid in the post, which is kind of the only place where he ever plays any defense. Well, that's coming into play now. You have Russ, who's yeah. tenacious, and you got a bunch of guys who know how to play on the perimeter, and that's where the game is going. They're just skipping ahead a couple of steps, if we're being totally honest. Their perimeter defense has been really good. I, I, I do think that it's made them extremely watchable. I think that it has brought out the best possible version of a flawed team, uh, a flawed team that, by the way, I, I'm not discounting the fact that they could just win the whole damn thing. Uh, crazier things have happened. They're a very good team. I'm saying flawed in the way that we're all flawed. Um, and they're trying to minimize those flaws to the best of their ability and going all in on it, and that's laudable in and of itself. Um, But what we saw when they lost to the Knicks the other night was the Knicks, who are not a properly built NBA team. I think that that goes without saying at this juncture. They have all the power forwards. Well, all the power forwards went and got all the rebounds in that game, and the Rockets are all about, well, okay, you want to get a bunch of baskets at the hoop. We're going to stop you a couple of times, but you're still going to be able to finish. You're going to be able to get to the rim, and you're going to be able to score. But we're going to come the other way, and we're going to knock down threes. And our three is greater than your two. And 
if we have equal possessions, it's going to work out in our favor every single time because we're so damn efficient on that end of the floor. When teams are getting a ton of offensive rebounds, when that rim protection then turns into also not getting defensive rebounds, that then creates a a possession mismatch, and that two, in fact, does become greater than three because there are more opportunities for those two. So I'm very interested to see how that develops throughout the season. I'm interested to see if teams can even exploit that you know vulnerability that the Rockets have. But well, I, 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 will say I they can't have. believe I'm saying this. There's, they have, they have, but will they be? And especially in a seven-game series, you'd have to imagine that they'd want to really pound that. But some teams aren't equipped for it necessarily. I mean, some teams are just not about that life. And uh, matchup is going to be everything, especially in the playoffs, as it always is. But in this case, when you have such an extreme even more uh, even more prevalent, uh, the matchups in that series. Uh, but, man, they, they've become eminently watchable, which is something I never thought I'd say about the Houston Rockets. Uh, I think that this is uh, hyper-pragmatic, which is something that I'm always about. And, um, yeah, it's getting, it's getting the best out of what they have, and what they have is pretty damn good, all things considered. Covington has just been awesome, and, and P.J. Tucker um, deserves all NBA defense votes. He's never made that team. I get why that's been the case, but this year, if for nothing else, anchoring that this incredible radical experiment that they're doing, he deserves a lot of love in that regard. So, yeah, right now I think that the biggest question is defensive rebounding. They're getting 67.4 mm-hmm. defensive rebounds uh, per 100 possessions, so 67.4% of their def- of, uh, opponent misses their corralling. That's last in the NBA since they've acquired Robert Covington. So defensive rebounding is legitimately a very real concern for them. That's the thing. That's the number one. And so, the, and, and, but it honestly, but, teams just don't crash the glass. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if they want to exploit it or not, or if they just want to concede those, con- you know, continuously. So, yeah, this is absolutely the most fascinating team building conversation mm-hmm. and construction that I can remember for the reason that everything that they're doing is on the margins and is trying to basically say, hey, the amount that our floor spacing puts you into Mm -hmm. absolutely disastrous situations defensively and forces you to make absolutely impossible situations defensively, we're going to get marginally more value out of doing that than you are right. in terms of getting marginal value out of crashing the offensive glass as hard as you can, right? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. if you don't get that rebound on the offensive glass, we're going to fucking hammer you in transition because we still have Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook has been one of the five best players in the NBA since they acquired Robert Covington. Yes. He has what? kind of and wrested that- control of this team. From James Harden, almost, which is crazy to say. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, I feel I think like they, he has. they're working he, in a, I think they're working in a fair symbiosis. I think that there's an, there's a, an understanding that did not really exist between Harden and Chris Paul because they viewed the game in such different realms. Both being, you know, heavy isolation players that can theoretically um, unlock the same system. Uh, I think there's a good give and take between the two. Now, it's unquestionably that Russ, that Russ book. Russell Westbrook is playing better right now than James Harden, but I don't think that that's some sort of mutually exclusive concept to where now it's it's Russell Westbrook's team and James Harden's in the backseat. I think that it takes two to tango, 
and, uh, and and Russ is getting the most out of this new system. They want to see how far you know he can take his game because it was it, he was really deep on the struggle bus there for quite a while. I think that he needs a, a good deal of run to, if nothing else, just feel like he's Russ again. It, it's been like a good two months, basically, yeah. since Russ yeah. has figured this out. Like the numbers for Russ are not all that different if you go back. Like Russ's last 20 games, he's averaging 32.5 points per game on 53% from the field, right, uh, Over mm-hmm. while only taking 2.4 three-point attempts per game. Over his last 10 games, it's 32.3 points per game, 25 field goal attempts per game, 53.4 field goal percentage. He's basically playing the same similar style that he was right before the All-Star break. Right. Uh, as he is now that they've acquired Covington. I don't think I've ever seen him play better. I think he is playing mm-hmm. better right now than what he did during his MVP season. And it's because teams just have, like, you think back to those Oklahoma City teams, right? Mm-hmm. They basically sold out to stop Russ because, mm-hmm. well, they had no floor spacing. Right? You had right. Steven Adams on the floor a bunch. You had Andre Robertson on the floor a bunch. You know, you basically didn't have to guard guys away from the basket, and it allowed teams to load up. And maybe in that vein, we should be even more impressed with what Russ was capable of doing, averaging a triple-double with Oklahoma City that year. This right. year, it has. this is the antithesis of that Oklahoma City situation. Absolutely. He is fully optimized. To his, there is no better possible circumstance for Russell Westbrook than playing with this Houston Rockets team right now. And Daryl Morey has put him in the absolute perfect situation to succeed, and he is dominating games. Like when you watch the yeah. Rockets play, it to me it is his team. Like I know that in terms of like true shots, right? So like counting free throw attempts in with <laughs> um, like yeah. field goal attempts, just because I think right. it's important to do that with James, because yeah. you know well, James, certain, it's, certainly it's part played. of James's usage though. Yes, of course. On the court, of course. In terms of when, like, when you're clearly going to, go, when you're clearly you know. It, on a, in a possession, when you're clearly trying to go to the free throw line, yeah, it becomes part of your usage. For everybody else, it's just a byproduct of, of playing hard. For him, it's a, you know, a desired effect. It is, but they're, you know, Russ is like just slightly ahead of him in terms yeah. of like true shot attempts per game right now. Like, look, maybe rested control of the situation from James Harden is, you know, maybe slightly false, right? Like maybe maybe it's a slight over exaggeration, but. When I look at and when I watch this Rockets team, and I've watched a lot of them now because this is, for me, the most fun team to watch in the NBA right now. I know. Isn't that crazy? I love it. I mean, like, I was never as out on the Rockets as you were, but... I just, I find, I found their style antithetical to entertainment. But, like... <laughs> and now I, it's I, highly entertaining. It's the most I love entertaining. everything about this team. I yeah. think that they're so, so fun. And in part, it's because of that frenetic style that Russ embodies, right? Right. right. Like everything it, about what Russell Westbrook does is just all energy, all play hard, all attack oriented all the time. This uh-huh. team is now just incredibly attack oriented. And I think it is true on defense as well. Uh, and, and look, yes. like Russ has been problematic defensively for a couple of years now. Of he kind of is playing a pretty big role on this team because a lot of what they're doing is just yeah. swarming teams and yep. out-athleting them and using their length and using their strength 
to cause problems and keep them out of the paint or when they do get into the paint, just swarming them. So yeah. I like, I love everything about this team. I, I get, think that they're they are pressing on defense. It's great. It's fantastic. Tucker and Covington are like incredible together. I don't know how, I mean, they're both just smart, good, solid players, but um, solid being the operative word. Uh, but man, like it, it shouldn't be this simple to build up defensive chemistry and understanding, but, Yet they just kind of clicked from day one. It is really a joy to watch those two go to work, especially down in the low post where, you know, two against one, I don't care how big and strong and tall you are, like you're going to lose. And, um, and that, that's happening time and time again. And they're so fast and so frenetic, as you mentioned, that, okay, yeah, you're giving up. You're leaving one guy open. But they, they, they do so well in their defensive rotations. They do so well to just run. They just try hard. Uh, that that oftentimes the ball can't move fast enough to find that guy, and players uh, under pressure aren't able to see that guy and make that you know skip pass or that cross court pass. So um, it's really good to watch. Of course, then that leads into the question: Is it sustainable? And I think it is, but it takes a lot of energy to play the way that they play. And we're in the home stretch now; they're going to be fighting for playoff seating, and then you got to do a seven game series. Uh, I don't know if it's long-term sustainable. Do you think it's even short-term sustainable to the you know notion that they could get through the Western Conference and into the NBA Finals with, with this style? So, yes, I, like 100%, I think it's sustainable. Now, yeah. the question is more, like, I, I don't think they're going to lose a playoff series because this just falls off the cliff and, like, falls off a wagon, right? Like, okay. I don't think that this is a hot streak. I think this is who they No, are. no, no, yeah. This, no, this is real. This is very real. Let's make no. that clear. They've now been the doing this for is, a month, and it's even getting better. Yeah, like, now the question is, like, who do they beat in the playoffs? Like, what is the matchup that's best for them? I think Utah that for a number, good. I think Utah, they would win. Like, I think yeah, oh, they yeah, would beat no the question. Jazz. I think that they would have an interesting series with Denver for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. um, mainly just Nikola Jokic, right? Yeah, a lot like, of cutting, a lot of passing. Like, how do you deal with Jokic in a series like that? But, yeah. you know, at the same token, like, you know, Nikola has gotten a lot better uh, in space mm-hmm. on defense, but this is a different beast, right? So totally. I think that would be the most interesting uh first round series that, you know, I guess theoretically could happen, although the top four teams in the West have kind of pulled away from Utah a little bit. Um, but the, the best series imaginable, I think, in the second round uh, would be them against the Lakers. Because... Uh, yeah, and I couldn't tell you who'd win that. Um, you know, obviously, the Lakers have been the number one seed, and they're doing really great stuff, but I don't know. They feel so LeBron. But it's, it's not even that. It's yeah. more that – what Houston does and what Los Angeles does are almost polar opposites of one another, right. especially yes. on defense, yes. right? Yes. Because Los Angeles is going to play big. Like, they're going to try and out-big you with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard at center next to exactly Anthony right. Davis and next to LeBron James in the same lineup. Yeah. And How does that look? How does <laughs> how that does look that against this Houston team? And, like, another guy that's, know. like, kind of a problem for them is Kyle Kuzma in a series like that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Houston is just going to murder you with, like, off-ball movement and forcing you into tough defensive situations. That's right. where Kyle struggles. It's not even necessarily that, you know, whenever he's on ball, he's a problem defensively. It's making the right decision and not getting lost. And Houston right now forces you into tougher decisions than any other team in the NBA offensively. So I, I think that series is fascinating. Like, it's very possible that, you know, look, the Lakers have the two best players in the series, and they're just going to win, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, but who knows? 
Stylistically, I think that's the most interesting series. And then for Houston on the other side of Los Angeles, the Clippers, I think the Clippers would just kind of beat them. Um, the Clippers have the ability, assuming Doc is willing to do it, the Clippers just have the ability to put together a better small lineup than what Houston can put together. Because they can put together Kawhi Leonard and Paul George uh, at the 2-3. They can put them together at the 4 and the 3, or even the 4 and the 5, if you want to in that series, theoretically. Like, you could run out Patrick Beverly, uh, Lou Williams, uh, Landry uh-huh. Shamit, Kawhi Leonard, uh-huh. and Paul George, and you'd be able to deal with what Houston is doing on offense, right? Um, right. Or you can put Marcus Morris out at the five and have him on Robert Covington. Or you can put out Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams in these lineups, right? So, like, there are just a lot of different small lineups that the Clippers can put together that I think force Houston into trying to into trying to do things that they might not be comfortable with. The whole thing about the playoffs is that it's about adjustments and that you have yep. to have a couple different kinds of smoke. And, you know, Houston has, for better or for worse here, um, optimized, right? Uh, so much about the NBA this season has almost been about stripping away the pretense, right? People no longer seem to give a shit about the regular season. Um, the, the, the Clippers have kind of leaned into that to a degree, though I think that they probably get more credit than they deserve in that regard. Um, well, a lot I'll, of teams I'll say just, this. The, the yeah. Clippers have turned it on. Like, they're, they're oh, done no, fucking I around. I know. <laughs> yeah, the Clippers, yeah. The Clippers well, are done fucking around see, now. When you see Kawhi Leonard getting angry at his teammates on the court, uh, you, you knew something was a brewing one way or another. And, yeah, they, they, they've clicked in. Now, we can question uh, their durability. Uh, Paul George sure. is, you know, and, and, and Kawhi to that, that effect. But, yeah, you, when you think about the talent on that team, you think about, in particular, their wing talent. I mean, geez, I don't. We don't need to get into where Paul George lies on the overarching wing talent uh, list. But holy crap! I mean, you got two of the top five in my estimation as power wings, and that's what the entire playoffs are about. So, I'm having a hard time seeing the Clippers not being kind of you know the favorites in the West, but. Shit, man! Like, if if Houston's one kind of smoke is so good as to, you know, and it gets the right matchups all the way to the finals, like, what's to say? I mean, maybe one kind of smoke can win it this year because it is so damn wide open, and because the Clippers, who should be the favorite given their personnel, um, aren't as good (laughs) as I thought that maybe uh, they would be. I I, I still think that they should be be the favorites, but uh, I I don't know if really they've reached that ceiling or if they ever will reach the ceiling that I thought was attainable for them this year. And and the Lakers, uh, as much as LeBron is playing his ass off and does deserve serious MVP consideration, though I'd still give it to Giannis, uh, as good as Davis is. Let's talk about that because I don't even think it's close. I don't even no, think I agree. I think Giannis is having one of the all-time great seasons. So we can, we can that, talk about LeBron being number two. Oh, like, no question. Definitely and number by the two. Way, and by the way, a preseason prediction from, from yours truly that uh, Giannis would have an MVP, but LeBron would come in second and lead the NBA in assists. Yeah, like, that's that's impressive. I'm very I know. proud of you. I sh- you should be. I, I don't get very much stuff right, but when I do, I, I fucking nail it. I, I I can't I can't get into this like Kendrick Perkins no. talking about the Bucks. He saw the fear in their eyes against Miami. Like fuck out of here, Kendrick. <laughs> I think Kendrick's like a breath I, of fresh air on TV a lot of the time. Like I think really? he's actually I do. I think his points are not great all the time. But like I'm I glad feel like that's the most important that. part of being on TV. 
No, but it's good to see different perspectives on TV. So, like, people get angry I don't about, need to like... See any, I don't need to see any more clutch sports perspectives on TV. We have plenty of those. <laughs> I mean, like, I know, but, like, no, I'm like, it's, not, it's a joke, but also, like, the absolute truth. Like, we should start having dudes wear NASCAR jackets to just see who they're standing for. Like, it, fucking how many clutch people need to go on the jump? I, I call it state-run TV, and I make that joke with people who are on the jump. Like, it is... It's laughable. I mean, the entire show is predicated on the basis of, in the middle of the afternoon, who's who's actually watching ESPN, like, in part, NBA players. And so they put on this very, you know, player-friendly, very clutch-friendly television show and um, get people to retweet it and stuff. And it's brilliant business strategy, but it's I, – I, if that's what's passing as you know commentary, like I can, I'm seeing right through the nonsense. Like it, it's clearly just propaganda. And uh, Kendrick Perkins will sometimes make interesting points. He's certainly not afraid to make points, which is appreciated. Some people go on TV and don't want to say anything, so I guess he has a one up there. But man, like the amount of water yeah, that, he's carrying kinda, is re- is ridiculous. That's kind of my thing. Like. The points when he brings up, like, oh, LeBron gets so much hate. Well, that kind of comes with the territory of being, Yeah, no like, shit. He's the best the, player in the world. Yeah, well, like one of the three maybe. best players of all time, right? <laughs> yeah. And everyone yeah. agrees now that he's one of the three best players of all time. Anyone like, who doesn't is just trying – is just being contra- – like, I get it. There's always going to be one person who says no or one person who says yes when everyone agrees no. Uh, there's no know, such thing as consensus, but like, God damn it, you're LeBron James. Like, if you can't be above like five naysayers out of ten million, like, give me a break. But here's here's what I will say. I think it is interesting to get that perspective from players like Kendrick Perkins, like Stephen Jackson, like Matt Barnes, right? Because but Stephen like, Jackson and Matt Barnes make interesting, salient points. Right. I think those two are actually great. Like, <laughs> they're very good. I think at they're very good at television and very good at podcasting. Very good at whatever their media empire is going to turn into. That's I think what I'm saying. Really, really the, the, good. Um, I, listen, this is this is not just me being like bitter old white dude who never played in the NBA being like, why don't I get but, to have my But day? I do like, think that it's important to get the perspective of guys that played in the NBA and mm-hmm. aren't afraid to talk about issues because I, a lot totally of guys agree. that played in the NBA are afraid. And Kendrick isn't afraid. You know. But it, those guys who, who played in the NBA but are now afraid to speak on it, why are they afraid? Like, let's break that down for a second. Some people don't have anything to say. That, that's just intrinsic. Now, we don't know those, those people. Clearly, we have a lot of things to say. Um, different strokes for different folks. They probably are doing a lot better in life. Uh, second, like, otherwise, it's, well, they, they want to protect their business interests. So they want to protect the paycheck. I mean, really, honestly, when you think about most things, where's the paycheck coming from? And if you don't want to speak out, if you don't want to speak up, it's because there's money involved and you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to do anything that could jeopardize that money. When you're just going out there and working for Clutch or working for CAA or wherever. Yeah, yeah but like Perk isn't, Perk isn't a Clutch guy as far as uh, I, I think. You, you, could, you could have fooled me. I believe that he was, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe he was a Wasserman guy. Yeah, well, so like, curious on whose representation is now. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's changed, but like, I don't look at it as – I mean, I think he's carrying water for LeBron because he just really likes LeBron more than anything else. Like, I, I don't even – I don't look at it as – Kendrick Perkins is credited – I'm, I'm on the I'm on USA Today. Kendrick Perkins credited with introducing Anthony Davis to clutch sports. Oh, uh, that's not great. That's not great. <laughs> that's the headline. 
<laughs> not recording, and that's from McMenamin. So cool. I mean, like, I don't know. It, it's I, I get it. We're all we're all just you and I are very lucky that we can you know talk shit on anyone we want because we're not directly affiliated with that, and uh, we, well, we have independent. Like, and, I'm afraid to talk shit about these guys. Like, if I see something, no, I don't you're, like, you're like, not. No, that's what I'm saying. We're lucky in that we don't we don't have to think about the financial ramifications of speaking out against somebody who might be paying us because we're not getting paid that much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's more it's not it's not like those opportunities don't come your way, you know. If For you're sure. Around, if you're around this business long enough, no, those opportunities right. come your way, and you know it's just that it's maybe I'm just more unabashed about that shit. It's hard to not. There's entanglements everywhere, baby. Yeah, um, I was gonna say it it's was hard. Just, you, you have to choose to not be entangled. Like, I've chosen to not be entangled with that stuff. You know right. what I mean? Oh, 10,000%. That's, that's, that's an active choice on my part. Right. And and, and listen, you're, you're leaving probably money on the table. Now, you're also uh, able to sleep a lot easier at night, and you're not constantly trying to tap dance around stuff. And um, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, uh, to to not be entangled with that kind of stuff. It's hard to to keep up a facade for that long. At the same time, uh, those who you know are those who are playing the entanglement game, those who are entangled, uh, you know, let, let's just be honest about who they are, and, and that's not to say that all of their perspectives and opinions and, and takes are invalid, not even close. But you just have to remember, you know, what what brand name is on the polo shirt. I mean, my my number one rule is never trust somebody in a team issued polo shirt because they're only going to tell you it's a team issued quarter zip, Dieter. Yeah, well, same same thing. It, back in South Florida, it was the polo shirt, and I've stuck with it. So, um, the polo shirt, the South Florida polo shirt. You know, like there's no quarters of weather down there. Uh, so yeah, and so it's like well, just never trust that person. Now that's not to say that everything they say is a lie or this and that. It's just to remember, take it with a grain of salt. And uh, I See, just like, feel I, like I don't think I don't think Kendrick is one of those guys that is up there just only carrying water. Like, I don't, because he, he is unafraid to talk shit about enough people. I think, I have no problem enough, with Enough, but like, not I, all. Not all. He just doesn't talk shit about LeBron. Like, let's just, and I, I like, and to be honest, what's there to I don't know why you would talk about, shit yeah, about no, LeBron. It, no, no, so, no. You and I are in cahoots on that. I do think that there are some narratives, and listen, this is, this is, these, this, this kind of nuance only comes out to me because I'm, you know, tapped into these channels. And I'm not going full Andy Lou here or anything, but, like, it's... <laughs> Shout out Andy Lou and Sam and Oh, um, guys. It's, it's, it's not like that, but it is to the point where it's like when, when you're constantly going up against LeBron's rivals and you're never, ever giving criticism towards LeBron, I'm starting to... I'm going to think that you work for LeBron. And listen, should, if LeBron is, uh, I, I would love to have people out there just constantly defending me. It would be great. Uh, and constantly, you know, trying to take one off of my enemies. But um, that's just not how it works for, for normal people. And I, it would just be nice if we could all be in understanding that, you know, some of these guys have ulterior motives out there. And Peter, the, the, fucking, the fucking LeBron MVP thing is, is case in point. Like, come on. Yes, he has been fantastic. No one yeah. – it's not this mutually exclusive thing to where if he doesn't win MVP, he had a bad season. He's having an awesome season. Now, I don't even know if it's top five in his all-time seasons, but that's because he's arguably the greatest player of all time. And, and in any other year, he might win MVP. But, damn it, have you seen what Giannis is doing? Like, shut the hell up. 
it's different. It's just different. Uh, Dieter, you know what might dull those conspiracy theory sensibilities in your brain? Or amplify them. A cold Coors Light. These days, yeah. everything is go, go, go. Nonstop hustle is taken over. There's work, friends, family, a million different crushing social issues, and an expectation to be on all the time. If the pace of things is wearing you down, take a moment, pause, just refresh yourself. With a mountain cold refreshment that is made to chill, it's Coors Light, it's brewed with a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, so it's Mm. actually made to chill the mountains on Coors Light's cold activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing crisp, and it's only 102 calories for those trying to keep it low. Because, uh, Dieter, i got to tell you, your boy, I'm dealing with a pinched nerve in my back right now. Oh, no. uh, Yeah, it's been been a tough weekend. And I haven't been able to get to the gym, so those low-calorie, you know, 102-calorie beers like Coors Mm. Light, they're just essential at these times. you got to have it. You gotta have it. That, and that's honestly where you should be most times. These double IPAs, they're not out there for refreshment. They're out there to get you schlitzed and, uh, a good old Coors Light. It's just always hit the spot. That's why Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need a moment of chill. So when you want. That's factual. I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, so when you want to reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. That's Coors Light. Uh, celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, uh, from Golden, Colorado, just really need mm-hmm. you to make sure that you're not overindulging. Just mm-hmm. have a nice little moment to chill. It's Coors Light, baby. That's what we're looking for here. Sam, you have had a lot of tremendous sponsors on this show. Uh, let, let's be honest about that. Coors that Light's one, up there. That one felt like the most brand appropriate. It did. I, I'm a big, big Coors big Light fan. supporter. Uh, yeah, the pitch, pitch nerve in the back, man, is a disaster. What do you what do you I don't know why we're going to have this public conversation. Maybe we do the, the details later, but uh, what, what are you doing to fix that? Uh, chiropractor, I've been there three times in the last four days. Mm-hmm. Um, that, sound, that sounds like a chiropractor trying to, trying to grease you for all your worth. Yeah, possibly, but, man, I feel better after I go, so I don't really No, care. I bet. Yeah, no, I, trust me, as, as a six foot eight man with terrible posture, I'm fully familiar with the chiropractor. And uh, let me tell you, I, I got this, like, peanut thing. It's like a, it's a hard foam. It's like two balls that are kind of taped together, more or less. Um, mm. I think it's called the foam peanut. And you put that on your lower back and you roll it. Uh, it will first off make you see colors that you didn't know existed in the universe. And uh, second, uh, it will it will unlock some stuff. So uh, that that's a that's a recommendation from me to you and to all of you. Uh, the peanut, the foam roller peanut, is is quite a godsend. I, I travel with it and. Uh, get on nasty-ass hotel rooms and, and roll it out, and it has been a big help. See, I've got the just like a regular foam roller, right? Like yeah, just the regular foam roller doesn't doesn't get as acutely into uh, well, like I, the I can't even, side joint. I can't even roll right now. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. my oh back boy. is like a disaster. Is it low? It's a little bit better today. It's better today. So, yeah, it's my L4 vertebrae, which is the one oh. that is uh, not the one that connects to the tailbone, but right mm-hmm. above it. Yeah, um, I know that one pretty well. Yeah. Have you tried any have you tried any uh deadlifts? <laughs> no, I've not tried. No, I'm not I'm not even half joking. Like, when my lower back needs to get uncompressed, I just go deadlift. Yeah, it seems dangerous with mine. Um, What's it going to do? Make it hurt more? 
Yes. <laughs> I've made progress, Dieter. I do not want to undo the yeah, progress. That's, that's, what, that's just what the snake oil salesman wants you to think. Uh, are, you, are you out on the chiropractor? Because Laura is also not a, uh, not a chiropractor <sighs> person. I'm, I, 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 I wade in both, wade in both pools. Um, it is, I'm very in on some, well, let's just, let's just be fully, uh, transparent here. I'm super into chiropractor videos on YouTube, like really into them, like at a weird <laughs> non-functional level. Like, uh, it, it's almost, yeah. It, is this like one I've of those said, things where people watch like earwax be picked out of an ear? Yes, I don't do that. Uh, though I can somewhat understand the allure. Uh, or like pimple yeah, popping videos? Yeah, it's it's very much along those same veins. It's just chiropractor cracks. Um, I don't know what it is. There's some like deep connection to that. And uh, there's there's a couple of chiropractors that do some really interesting stuff. Now, I'm also watching a lot of this stuff so that I can self-chiropract because I, I went to a chiropractor uh, when I was living in Florida and uh, didn't really do anything except, you know, steal money out of my wallet. And it was very clear to me after, you know, asking the right questions and going there enough that their entire business model was just to keep you coming back, that they were never going to fix anything. They were just going to relieve symptoms. So uh, for temper, you know, temporary purposes, it was kind of a kind of an elaborate racket, which is what you expect out of something in a strip mall in South Florida. So uh, I, I'm kind of out on the premise. I'm in on like active release technique and uh, really working, you know, like deep muscle and, and joints and, and uh, the fascia, like that kind of stuff is really interesting to me, and there are professionals that can do it, but those professionals are out to, like, hurt you in the sense of, like, they're <laughs> they're going to do stuff that there's no tool that could possibly do other than the human hand, and it's, again, going to make you see colors that you didn't know existed in the universe. And I, I know a couple of people that have done stuff like that and has really uh, – has really changed their lives in a, in a positive way. So I'm in on chiropractic and, and, you know, kind of the whole, you know, manipulation aspect of it. I'm kind of out on the business model of it because I just think that there are too many snake oil salesmen in, in that realm. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do at home that, um, that can alleviate the problems as someone who has lower back problems, you know, all the time. So, a way to get rid of those lower back problems for you is going to be to talk about your beautiful, lovely Chicago Bulls. Won't it? <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you, Sam. <laughs> won't, it, won't it just uh, help relieve the tension in you? No. Well, Colby White makes me feel good. I, that, I want to uh, give you a headline from Joe Cowley over at the Chicago no, no. Sun-Times. That, Anytime, that in and of itself makes me cringe. Anytime that sentence uh, begins with, by Joe Cowley in the Chicago Sun-Times. Right. Jim Boylan looking to bring boot camp mentality back to Bulls practices. <laughs> Let's give a quick little update on where the Bulls are. The Bulls mm. currently are six games out of the playoffs with 20 games left. They are, I believe that their record is 21 and 41. And Jim Boylan <sighs> is out here talking about uh, toughness. Yeah, quote, we weren't tough enough tonight. That's why we lost to the Timberwolves, which, to be fair, if you lose to the Timberwolves, you're probably toilet paper soft because uh, that is not a hard team. But, boy, uh, this guy sucks. He, from, he, from the Chicago he, Sun-Times article. 
<laughs> yeah, we need guy. to play our minutes with more focus and energy, Boylan said. When, you're, when you've been out and when you come back, the speed of the game is tough, and you obviously had a little bit of thought to yourself, how am I going to get going? What am I going to do? That's part of the process. What I'm talking about is you've got to play your minutes with force. Whether you haven't played in two months, play hard, compete, rebound the ball. That's what I'm talking about. Man, man, get, get this guy all the way up out the paint. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, listen, this guy it sucks. Is, and it is to go. March. It is yeah. March. These dudes are not going to go for a boot camp style practice, especially after Joe Cowley, I believe, was the first one to report this. Uh, the front office, like, is apparently in some trouble. Like, mm. John Paxson, you know, who knows if Paxson's in trouble. When have I heard trouble, that shit before? But it seems like Gar Foreman might be in some trouble at the very least. Oh, and, no. They're only, if they'll get rid of one of them, that will fix it. Right, right. It's like getting rid of uh, hiring Leon Rose instead of yeah. the, um, the umpteenth number of it's executives in the Knicks, right? Well, the problem is the owners, whenever the owners have fans kicked out of the arena for saying sell the team. Right. So yeah. Yeah, the, the the James Dolan aspect of it all is a conversation for another day. But oh, it's a big conversation. You know, nonetheless, like what are what are we doing here? We're going to have a dude well, starting you- starting boot camp boiling again. And, you know, we've only got a month left in the season. Like, how is how is any of that going to work? It, it won't. It won't, but somehow. But why I, why I would you ever think it's going to work is my problem. Because they're, they're not tough enough. They're not tough enough to beat the Timberwolves, damn it. Um, the, 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 these, this entire organization needs to just be burnt to the ground and started from, from scratch. Just keep Kobe White and maybe, maybe marking it. I don't know. Maybe Wendell. Keep Wendell, <laughs> keep Wendell Carter. Honestly, Zach Levine's been good this year. Like, yeah. Zach Levine has not been the problem. No, he hasn't been the problem. He hasn't been the solution either. Um, it, it is, yeah, um, it's all bad. It's all really bad, Sam. And uh, the worst part is, like, in any other organization, I'd be like, oh, man, well, at least Jim Boylan's getting fired. Not this one. Not I, this I, one. The the NBA's version of the clapper is just an absolute <laughs> legend. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's the clapper. How often does Jim Boylan just stand on the sidelines just going, no, I know, yeah. It would it would be awesome if he wasn't so demonstrative because uh, it would at least I would be able to forget how much he sucks. Please stop clapping. <laughs> You're getting like, PTSD from the claps yeah. from watching yeah. the Bulls game last night, dude. You ever? I mean, you wa- if you watch him, it's just like this guy is always up off the bench. This guy is always just. It's like he doesn't know what he's doing, so he's trying to – oh, that's exactly what's happening. He has no idea what he's doing, so he thinks that he'll get by on effort alone, and it's only exposing him as more of a fraud. My man gets it in a defensive stance like almost every possession, it feels like. He needs to go coach some mid-major team in the middle of nowhere and uh, truly be at home because this NBA thing is, is not for him. Uh, what, what is it that you would say that he does well? I mean, I really can't answer that. I will tell you that he took over from uh, what I believe he took over from Ray Jackaletti uh, in mm. Utah. Uh, high bar. High bar. He was the coach of the Utah Utes in 2009. Uh, led them, I believe, to like a first round exit. I think oh, they won the Mountain did? West Conference tournament. Like they were fine or whatever. But like then the last two years, 
abject disaster, like abject yeah. failure to the point where Larry Kraskoviak's first year at Utah, they finished 302nd in the country, according to Kempom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 6-25. and 25. And Dieter, like, I know college basketball as well as anyone, especially when you go, like, 2010 onward. Yeah. There is not a dude on this Utah roster that I have ever heard of in my life. Only the Bulls. There's not a guy on the, like, there is, there's not a single one that Jim Boylan recruited that I'm like, oh yeah, I know who this guy is at least. Again, I said mid-major. Do you know, do you know who he did recruit though? I'll give him credit for this. Kyle Kuzma. Jimmy Boylan recruited Marshall Henderson to Utah. Oh, respect. Respect. That, that's worked out for all parties involved. For everyone. For Isn't Mar- Marshall Henderson playing in like Iraq? Uh, he was at one point. I don't know if he still yeah. is or not. Where is, <laughs> let's take a look at where Marshall Henderson is right now. Uh, let's do left- it live. Last played for uh, Pavia Basket in the Italian Serie C Gold League, so third division Italy. Wow, um, whomst amongst us has, hasn't you know spent a spent a year playing in the third division of Italy? What do you think you're getting paid in the third division of Italy? Not much. It's not going to be much. Getting paid nothing. Yeah, you're, you're getting paid like housing, meals, and then like maybe thirty grand. I would bet. You get a sheet of lasagna every week. Here you go. <laughs> just the just the noodles, not the actual lasagna. Oh yeah, no, there's no meat in that sauce. It's just it's lasagna marinara. <laughs> oh my god. Um, the okay. last thing I want to talk about is Colin Sexton. So I think yeah. that, like a lot of people gave up on Colin Sexton uh, after one year. After even a like a year situation. and a half. Yeah. 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 And he's really good. Like I just want like he's As let me late. let me rephrase. He is. Very good for a 21-year-old point guard trying to play in the NBA. He's averaging 20 points, 20 and a half points, on 46.7% from the field, 38.6 from three, 84.5 from the line. So, like, people question the jump shot coming in. Shot 40% from three last year on 300 attempts, 38.6 this year from three on 250 attempts so far. In Alabama, he was, like, 34% on a million tough shots per game. Right. So like, I think Colin Sexton can straight up shoot now. He's very clearly quick enough to get to the paint and draw fouls and do what he has to do now. Uh, He's still skinny. So teams just don't defend him like that. But he'll put on weight and get strong. Colin Sexton, I want to give you context on how impressive his scoring ability is. And we'll talk about the rest of it because the rest of it is a genuine concern. In terms of scoring ability, the number of players that have averaged at least 20 points on 46% from the field, 38% from three, and 84% from the line in their age 21 year or younger. It's Colin Sexton, it's Kevin Durant, and it's nothing else. Oh boy. And I'm not sitting here comparing Colin Sexton to Kevin Durant, but like what he is doing hasn't really been seen before from a small guard in terms of scoring the ball. Yeah, six foot one. I'm not, and I'm not even saying that like, He's the next Allen Iverson. I'm not sitting here saying he's even going to be a super high-end starting player in the NBA. I think right. that upside still exists because I think he is just like an exceptional scorer. Mm-hmm. But for someone who has been written off, basically, seemingly by the basketball uh, basketball intelligence. Who, who's you know, doing the writing off? Who, who has decided that he I feel like even Who's paying enough attention to notice? Well, I mean, the Cavs front office drafted a point guard. This last yeah. offseason. That is <laughs> like, a, that is a fair assessment there. That that fair play. <laughs> um, 
And, and like when you read about Colin Sexton, everyone's like, oh, he's taking this terrible shot. Oh, he's not a passer. Oh, he's a terrible defender. All of those things are true, and it's why he's not really a winning player right now, quote unquote. But when your base of skill is I can score the basketball for my age at a level commensurate with very few other players in league history in terms of efficiency and volume, right. that's a good starting point. He needs yeah, to round I feel, it out. I feel like, like he I'm could not, do something with that. Right. Like, he needs to round it out. I'm not going to argue yeah. that. He needs to do right. a lot to round out the rest of his game. He has got to figure out how to defend someone. He has got to figure out how to make the right reads passing the basketball. But, man, and this dude is, like, consistently throughout the pre-draft process from his teammates that, you know, are around him every day, they will go to bat for him as one of the hardest workers that they've been around. That's just not the guy you bet against, I don't think. Like, I, I no. get that there are concerns, and I get the skill-based, uh, the feel for the game. I get the defense. I'm not going to bet against that guy. Like, I think he's going to be, at the very least, one of the best six men in the NBA for a long time. And if you told me he was, like, a high-end starter at some point, I would not be wildly stunned. I, I'm, like, I'm definitely on the higher end of Colin Sexton, and I'm happy to be there. You, I, I will take all of your all of the shares you're selling on Colin Sexton. I'll buy them. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair play. I mean, ultimately, this league is about getting buckets. He can get them, um, and he's young. So uh, he's also just kind of – he's got that it factor that I really liked coming out of Alabama. My man played One, three on five against Minnesota and outscored them. Or yeah, like there, there's, I think some, he outscored there, them. there's something to that guy. There's just something to him that – listen, I'm again, I'm not purporting here that he's going to turn into an all-star or anything. Right. That he's that he's going to be something, but he's no scrub. Um, Colin Sexton and, gets talked about. I feel like like he is going to be out of the NBA. No, no, no. Like within <laughs> no. five years. No, it's more. It's far more me. likely that he's an all star than it is that he's out of the NBA in five years. Right. Straight like up. he he is a really really good scorer. And Everything I like else. Garland. Like that's the thing. Like I don't, I don't necessarily know that the, the Cavs. You know, made the wrong decision in getting another point guard. Like they, they did because they did. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They did because it's it's <laughs> redundant. But like, right? Like you Garland, cannot play Garland's those good. two together. You just cannot do it. You're gonna but get you can, absolutely. You can trade on one defense, of them, but you can trade one of them, and you can make it work that way. There's a reason they're 29th in defense right now, and yep. it's not all the fact that they tuned out John Beeline, right? Like, <laughs> no, no. In fact, it feels very little. Like it's the John Beeline aspect. Though I did enjoy their uh, their post Beeline bump there for a minute or two. Yeah, like I'm Funny excited to watch. I'm excited to watch where Colin Sexton goes because I feel like there are a lot of different potential outcomes, and yeah. a lot of them I think are really good. I'm not like I'll I don't even it. know that I would say he is like a franchise player for Cleveland that they have no. to keep. Like I don't even feel that way. But he's no, a legit I, good player. And yeah, people solid. would do better to not ignore that, I think. Well, I mean, it's probably best that you ignore the Cavaliers on the whole for your own sanity. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, fantasy basketball purposes, he's been good. <laughs> yeah, it has to trade to do a lot of wins. Fair. Maybe that's where, maybe that's where we pivot uh, this podcast, just fantasy basketball. <laughs> but the Cavs weren't expecting to make the playoffs. And do you know how many games they are behind the Bulls right now? Uh, it, not many, uh, because like four. apparently the, the entire East 
can be 15 games under 500 and still be within striking distance. Holy shit. I mean, like, I thought the Wizards were one of the worst teams in the NBA, and they are. And then you look, and they're, like, five games back of a playoff spot. <laughs> the East is terrible at the bottom. It's bad. It's I don't, real bad, man. How do, you, how do you, I mean, other than the Curtainback plan, how do you fix that shit? <laughs> how, do you, how do you fix the East? I mean, how do you just fix the fact that the Wizards can be simultaneously a near playoff team and one of the worst teams in the NBA? Yeah, the Wizards will be better next year. I mean, God, you have to hope the Bulls are going to be better next year, right? Who the hell knows? They can't be worse, can they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim Boylan could run these guys into the ground by the end of training camp. Hey, remember that time I bet on the Bulls to make the playoffs this year? Yeah, remember when I I told you that that was a good idea? That was just throwing money into a fire pit. Uh, uh, my my basketball soul the is Nets, in there with by it. By the way, the Nets will be really good next year, too. Um, really good? I don't know. I mean, yeah, compared to their peers, like they'll definitely it, be much, much better because they'll add Kevin Durant, even if he's 80% or 75%, and you yeah. know, a healthy Kyrie Irving. Like, they'll be good. Karis LeVert's very good. Like, they're, they have really good players. That's more than most could say. I don't know if they're... Some legit title contender, though. I, I feel like they're still a tier under, but we'll have to see. The offseason changes so much shit. Yeah, and, like, Atlanta's going to get better just through sheer getting better, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, they, I'm with fucking hope at this juncture. The East is not going to be as bad as it was this year, uh, year. I don't know, man. Like, are the Wizards going to get any better? Yeah, because they're going to get John Wall back. They're going to get – they're going to have a full season of Wall and Bradley Beal. Um, they're going to get another high draft pick in. Rui will get older. Um, I like Rui. Have, I think Rui's a good player. They have enough. They have probably re-signed Davis Bertans, right? Like, they, they have a chance to get better. Not All right, like, let's just, let's just, let's just play the game. That, stop, stock up, stop down, okay? Let's just go the bottom teams. Yeah, just right now. Just, just sure. right off the cuff. Orlando Magic, are they going to be better or worse next year? I'm actually going to say worse. Okay, I, I can't disagree. Washington Wizards, you think they get better? Charlotte Hornets. Here, hold on. Let, let me say why I think for Orlando, because Orlando fans will yell at me. It seems oh, like, you know, given the report from Sean Devaney, that uh-huh. uh, they probably are going to look into trading Aaron Gordon. That, that was my thought, yeah. And I think it's going to be tough for them to Not get trade commensurate value. Well, really, just com- get commensurate value for him. Like, I, I, they would have to get They would have to get a real leap from Jonathan Isaac. Next year to be better, I think. And Yvonne Fournier is a free agent. Like, who knows if he returns? So I I would say the odds are closer to them being worse. I agree with you. Um, Yeah. And they're 27 and 35 right now. Uh, But in the AC, so they get to be beaten by the Bucks in four games. Uh, The Wizards are. I've made the pitch on the Wizards. Yeah. Yeah. Charlotte Hornets. They are 21 and 40. They are currently uh, five and a half games back of a playoff spot. Stock even. I guess. As as always, the Hornets will always be the 12th team in the 10th to the 12th team in the Eastern Conference. You think yeah. the Bulls are up? They can't be worse next year, can they? Like, oh, they absolutely could. Um, but sure, I, in theory, they should not be, so henceforth. Theoretically, uh, they're going to get a growth from Lowry Markinen, from Wendell Carter, from right. Kobe White. Like Those Zach guys Levine will just play. That, useful, that's something. Maybe they like, won't have Kobe White coming off the bench anymore. Right. Um, Detroit Pistons down, tw- and they're twenty and forty three right now. Down, yeah, that, that's going to be one of the worst teams in the league next year. The, the New York Knickerbockers up, but only because it can't get worse. 
And because R.J. Barrett could theoretically get better. And I think that they're going to make they're going to try and make moves this summer, and their summer just can't be any worse than it was last summer, right? Oh boy, watch them try. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, you said they're going to get better. Cavaliers are the worst team in the Eastern Conference right now. It's seventeen and forty-five. By the way, they are only ten games back of a playoff spot. Um, <laughs> you presume the Cavs will get better as well. I would say probably stock even because I think that they're probably going to be able to find a taker for Kevin Love this summer at some point. Mm-hmm. And if you're losing Kevin Love, you're losing someone who is a legit, even though he's not worth $30 million, like he's a positive player in some regard. So I, I would say that they're probably still going to be them. And I mean, I think Detroit will be worse than they are, but yeah. like in the grand scheme, stock even. By the way, just like looking at the Western Conference real fast, like I, I would venture to say that the Warriors will have more than 14 wins at this juncture next year. Uh, the Timberwolves with D'Lo in, in Towns for a full year in theory, I, I would venture to think would have more than 19 wins. Uh, like the, and then everybody else is kind of in it. Maybe not the Suns, but like Pelly's first Kings, Blazers, and Grizzlies are all fighting for one spot. So there's interest there, even though right. So so under- like the question is, where do the wins come from? Like, because I'm saying stock yeah. up for more teams that I'm saying stock down. I would venture yeah. that the wins come from like San Antonio being worse. Um, okay. I mean, I don't think the Bucks can. We'll like, do this again. Yeah. Yeah, like just betting realistically. Like fifty three and nine on pace for seventy wins is probably. Are the, are the Raptors going to go at a seventy percent clip again next year? Probably not. Yeah, like Celtics at nearly a seventy percent clip. Probably not. Probably and like, not, that's not to say that maybe. That's not. Yeah. I mean, like on if nothing else, maybe they're even a better team, all things considered. But they're just not going to try as hard. You know, like the Celtics. Might. The Celtics, level. I would say, are about equal, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying, nonetheless, though. Like, like at a certain point, you, you, you ha- right now, everything seems so open, or at least they came into the season thinking things were open, and there's so much jostling for playoff position that, like, shit, there, you know, there might be some separation. You might get some separation between, like, the Bucks, the Celtics, and maybe the Heat, maybe the Raptors, like, maybe the Sixers, one other team, and then kind of that middle tier, whereas right now, you know, two through six is, is somewhat yeah. tight. Yeah. It's theoretically evenish. Raptors are kind of Raptors and Celtics are kind of separate, but yeah. yeah. This will this will be a podcast for the off season. Like it's it, this is what do, do you think? Do you do you think stock up, stop de- stock down for next season is a better podcast for the off season when we actually know what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that. Do you have do you have any hot election takes? Any because my entire uh, last two days with this pinch nerve has just been watching uh, yeah. primary results pour in. A lot of election takes, but uh, <laughs> I keep those to myself these days. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm bummed. I'm bummed that Elizabeth Warren's out. Uh, I would have voted for yeah, Elizabeth I like, Warren. I would have voted personally. for Elizabeth Warren too. I, I'm um, not a member of the Democratic Party anymore, so uh, it's hard for me to speak with any uh, authority on the matter. Yeah, like I look like I'll happily vote for Bernie Sanders, but uh, I had all of these uh, fans of Bernie. Uh, we'll call them. Uh, these, these, people, these, people, these people know how to build a coalition. I mean, clearly they just they have it on lock. Yeah, like when I tweet something as innocuous as like it bums me out that we have like three 70-plus-year-old guys yeah. running for president. Um, well, according to them, Bernie Sanders is 31 years old. Like it's, it's okay. Like representation matters at the highest levels. It's okay to be bummed that like – women and African-Americans aren't going to look at this election and be like, and feel like they're being represented. Right. 
Yeah. Now, like, I'm going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, complain about it because I agree with 90, 95, I don't know, percent of his platform. Like, I'm a huge, like, I'm all about it. Like, I'm very, very much in the progressive camp of politics. But, like, I mean, you guys really do got to do better in terms of the coalition building. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that you're the one who will turn it all around there, Sam. Clearly, right. Like, it's it's frustrating, though. Sam Vecini, non-establishment Democrat, says that the Bernie bros need to build a better coalition. They're angry. Angry's never been a good look on anybody. And uh, it it doesn't take very long to realize that it's, uh, guess what, I'm about to get in trouble. Uh, It's all too similar to another another, uh, plurality but not majority of of a different different party uh very similar angst seems to permeate through both and uh it's that's not a good look even though uh, the policies couldn't be more radically different uh the radical aspect of it is uh un unbecoming and i think that most people right now are just looking for some goddamn normalcy as opposed to uh constantly wondering uh what the lunatic's going to do next and yeah i think that uh, like I'm someone who very strongly believes that we need, like, dramatic change in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on a progressive level, like, I would love Medicare for all. I would love uh, yeah. student loan forgiveness because I think it would really stimulate the economy. Like, I think that so much of what Bernie is for is really, really smart and really – it's why I'm going to happily vote for him, right? Like, I really am. Yeah. But – yeah, like it's it's well, here's here's my bigger issue with that. Like, I agree, like those things are good things and I agree with them inherently on the political basis. Like, I, I believe that those things are uh, valid and should be enacted. But when you you have to be a candidate of your ideas, not a candidate of, you know, this like revolution or this movement, this this candidate of an emotional uprising of sorts. Right. Like it, you have to be about the goddamn ideas. And so, if and then, by the way, this is this is what bummed me out about the fact that Elizabeth Warren never got traction because, like, hundred percent, she was all about her ideas, and she didn't tap into some tribalistic nonsense, and so she lost. Whereas, you know, her opponents, well, I guess one of them just didn't do anything but one because he's establishment, and two, you know, well, here, here's the thing that I think is going underrated on this. Um, yeah, you know, we, we can we can talk on Twitter about you know what we want, right? Like, you know, there, I think that there's certainly uh, the extremes are represented to an extreme extent on Twitter, right? The, the problem is that we live in a media society now where mm-hmm. getting free media on TV, getting uh, any sort of name recognition, name ID mm-hmm. is the overriding reason for people voting. I mean, it's not an accident, I don't think, that the two candidates left standing are the two candidates that people are most familiar with uh, in terms of name ID and name recognition. And Elizabeth Warren, by the way, was third going into this election. So, Well, your argument argument that they're getting free TV time and stuff like that because they're well-known and well-established, like, obviously that makes perfect sense but then you take into account like mike bloomberg spending well i I think it's just an amplification of everything and by the way mike bloomberg spending a crazy amount amplifying where his name is everything like i think that that's just where we are in media and in uh society today and that's it's a problem i think i think it's really really hard to break through 
when have we ever not been in that scenario? I mean, what like back it? in the 1960s when, you know, 100 people would de- determine the nomination yeah, like, in like a smoke-filled room, right? Yeah, like God forbid <laughs> uh, a popular vote has to do with popularity. Like, but I don't it, know. But the, I think the problem is that it's harder for candidates to break through now because uh, – it's hard. I think it's harder to get popular because of the amplification that happens of either bot media from Mike Bloomberg or yeah. of high name ID people continuing to dominate <sighs> news cycles because it what it's what brings people in. People want to watch what they know, and then it just ends up. Oh, uh, see, Sam, I, I I think that you're 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 right, but you're not viewing the full thing here. Like, yes, people like what they know. They want to know familiar characters. They also love new characters. New characters are everyone's favorite thing. It's a plot twist in the reality TV show. And we don't have to, you know, think that long ago. And Has I that been proven whole... out, though? Like, uh, Donald Trump is... isn't a new character. No, no, no. I'm not. You know, we're not doing that. But let's go. Let's go back to, you know, Obama. Like, who the fuck was Barack Obama? It was pre. OK, it was the first Internet campaign, probably. Right. Right. But it is not nearly as no. I know like we're that, not, we're that not landscape as... is very different than what this one. Is. <laughs> I am familiar with the fact that we are far more online now than we were then. Like that right. goes without saying. What I'm like, saying, the Obama candidate or the Obama campaign did a fantastic job using the internet and amplifying Obama through that and building a grassroots effort through that. But we're at the point now where it's a lot harder to do that because. Over the last, let's call it, twelve years, those can- those voices, those candidates, those characters, I mean, as you want to put it, have been so amplified that it's now difficult for people just trying to break through. Now, you can look at it in all industries, right? It's why the I most popular podcasts are the ones that have been around forever, right? To a degree, to a degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the internet let's wants also, to amplify things that already exist. Okay, so let's take Joe Biden into consideration. Then. So Joe Biden had no money. <laughs> no one gave him any damn money. And he won basically on this uh, lately assembled coalition of establishment Democrats uh, that basically just got together and went like, well, he's, you know. And the African-American vote, by the way. Um, and, 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 sorry, I cannot yeah. cannot remit me on. This is not me just covering. So I don't, like the African-American vote was very loud and established him in South Carolina by a wide margin. It was very clear that no one else was going to um, to grab that. And when you then are brought down to essentially uh, two camps, which is the Bernie camp versus the establishment Democrat camp, of which there are widely variant uh, policy um, policies amid that, they basically said, well, who has the actual best electability here? And, um, when you're dealing with Democrats, you need to take care of you know, your base. But here's, here's what frustrates me. If you look at any poll about who performs better against Donald Trump, it's all basically equal in terms mm-hmm. of Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren lagged behind there a little bit um, in comparison the, to the other two. The Warren but, thing is, 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 a, is a tragedy of media and our – yeah, of the popularity contest, right? I think I saw something today, and, and this is very – I saw it very briefly before I came on here, so please don't hold this t- against me if I'm if I'm wrong on this. But uh, it, it certainly kind of rang true in my mind, which is that 
Um, most people don't make their decision on who they're voting for until very late. I think it's even more than half at this juncture. And now uh, that the and field is – I've seen anywhere that Joe Biden won late deciders, you know, something like – 100 percent. By, by 20 points against Bernie Sanders and got like 47 to 51 percent of late deciders. Again, when they're building coalitions like this, I mean, how can you not? Um, but it's uh, it's to the point where if you ask somebody, I think this was the New York Times again, uh, really was probably shouldn't even be bringing it up. But basically, Democrats will vote for Biden now. Right. You ask somebody now, who are they going to vote for? They'll say Joe Biden, which, of course, two weeks ago, very few and really only the African-American base would have said Joe Biden. But if you ask them very recently, as like a couple of days ago, who do they think would make the best president? They would say Elizabeth Warren. Which, that's, like, that's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts because that's sad. we have that's no sad. idea. I just categorically here, here, do not believe that we have any idea who is going to be more electable until mm, we get no, into a they, fight. No, because Trump has already fought with Elizabeth Warren and has already kind of come out the winner. If you put him in a debate with Elizabeth Warren, I am thinking that gets ugly for Donald Trump. That's all I'm going to say. It was it was it was ugly for Hillary Clinton. I mean, you also have to take into account the inherent sexism that is placed on in the role. Um, you have to take into a, a big. Point. No one likes a smarty pants woman, except for me. Apparently, uh, it's it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of bigger things, and the fact that she got egg on her face with the whole Native American lineage thing. And I don't even know if she did but or she, didn't, but she, she didn't come She came back out. from that, though. She like, did, but not enough. Not enough. Whereas Joe Biden can come back from clearly a million things. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I'll be happy to vote for whoever the Democratic candidate I'm, is. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly a Bernie bro. I really I, – I, I, I like some of the ideas, not all of them. Uh, I do not care for the way that the whole movement, quote unquote, is handled. And I think that it is deliberately divisive and uh, not <laughs> forgive me for, you know, <laughs> wanting some sense of normalcy and moderation amid uh, a very not, fractured. Normalcy. I think it's just harder for them to build a coalition. Like, I, I get that. You, I get that it's passion and I get that uh, it is I mean, important I on the to Obama so many campaign. people. I know about passion and stuff. I mean, not that that's something, you know, catch all like, where it's like legitimately for a lot of people, it's life and death. I get that. But like, it doesn't it help anyone constantly reminding people of that and constantly putting, you know, things that aren't life and death in that same tone because, uh, healthcare is, and should be treated as such in my full opinion, <laughs> like right. just because, but, but then, you know, painting everything with that brush makes you look like a crazy person. It's not it's not that. Like I don't think that it makes people look like crazy people. I really don't. I think that what it is is that there are I would venture that most Democrats mm -hmm. probably agree with a lot of the policy positions that Bernie Sanders undertakes. Yes. Like not all of them, but not all of them, but it, it, at least at least they agree with the notion that that's the if it's going to go one way or the other, it should go in that direction. But if, if you look at if you look at polling, Medicare for all polls better than, of course, uh, you know, like a public option or uh, the current system. Right. Right. It polls better. Makes sense. And if you whenever there is even the smallest disagreement on that, it seems like people are more willing to jump down other people's throats. And I, it's not that I don't understand it. I empathize with it. And 
I think that it's not an unreasonable reaction in many circumstances. Yeah. But it just doesn't work to build the coalition that Bernie Sanders is going to need to win the presidency. And right. that upsets me. That bums well, me out. I'll get, it, what I found amazing off of Super Tuesday is the fact that um, the Republican Party never got together when Donald Trump was basically – he established a, a, a plurality but not a majority amongst a massive Republican field, right? And all of them had very differing ideas from you know uh, kind of a centrist view to a hardline Reagan conservative view of trickle-down economy – and then this Trump nationalism angle and the Trump nationalism play uh, to the largest percentage. So, again, not a majority. And the Republicans didn't who who, to be fair, seemed to always have their act together, at least always seemed to be able to get people to tow the company line. They couldn't get together and come up with one candidate that they could all get behind to stop Trump from their own party which let's not forget there were a lot of never Trump Republicans who are now super Trump Republicans because they did get in line eventually once he became the candidate because they've made Democrats out to be a boogeyman for so long that they actually believe it at this juncture. But the Democratic Party, with very little effort, it seemed, (laughs) uh, actually did do what the Republicans didn't do. If you view Sanders as a Trump-like figure, and I'm sure that everyone's going to misconstrue that plenty, and that's fine. Uh, If you view him as an extreme and an outlier inside of the political establishment of the party, um, and everyone's out. I think that what's different between Trump and Bernie is that Trump, you know, built his message of populism on lies, right? Bernie is genuine with his message of it. As any politician we've seen in you know, however many years. I'm saying in the sense of that they are an outsider to the party. Like Bernie Sanders, let's not forget, was not a Democrat until recently. Um, so it, it, an outsider to the party with very bold, uh, not non-standard or you know, ex- extreme ideas. And again, Bernie Sanders' extreme ideas are trying to help people. So that's a positive thing. Um, but uh, it is... When you have that, like the, the Democratic Party, without anyone really noticing, apparently, um, was able to get, you know, Buttigieg and Klobuchar to drop out, move their support over to Biden. Uh, Warren will likely do the same here uh, very soon, though I'm interested to see. Uh, Bloomberg will, I'm sure, do the same here very soon. Certainly not going to Bernie. Um, I, and well, he already announced for Biden. So, oh, really? Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. My prediction was correct. I, yeah, I'm not sure what Elizabeth Warren supporters are going to do. Like, look, I'm I'm going to be very happy to vote for Bernie Sanders, but um, I'm not going to sit here and speak for other uh, people. I would hope that, like me personally, I would hope that they vote for Bernie Sanders. But I I, my, in the current landscape, they could have real sway and that they could really happen because it's not like Biden's coming in here with any, you know, clear cut policy plans. If he can win over Bernie supporters by going for Medicare for all. He might not have a choice. I don't know if he has a stance on it one way or another, but like he might not have a choice. And it sucks that this that there there's so much resistance to the establishment. And again, listen, no one likes establishments, but like there's so much resistance to the the established order and the established people. And everyone sticks behind this movement that the ideas I think will die in and of themselves because they're gripping on them so tightly. I think that that's a disservice to the ideas in the name of some movement because movements don't matter; ideas do. Oh man, let's uh. R.I.P. My mentions. 
let's end. You're going to be in some trouble here. Uh, oh. Dieter, tell the people where they can find your work. No, I'm not going to tell them anything about where they can find me at this juncture. Oh, man. They can find you at the San Jose Mercury News. I won't give them your Twitter account. For now. <laughs> I will not give them your Twitter account. They can, uh, I'm sure, find it. There's how many how many of Dieter Curtainbox are there out there? That's a good point. Uh, I'm going to have something coming on Friday about uh, – just prospects that fit within this ideal that the Houston Rockets are uh, undertaking with small ball. And uh, I will also have, I don't know, something new at some point. The rookie scale prospect project is ongoing. Like I'm literally writing the Atlanta Hawks as we speak right now. We're going to drop them like all at the same time. That's why that they don't, or why they haven't been out recently. So we'll be back later on though. Uh, Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.